the title of my message is These Temporary Trials, and I think you can tell from that title the emphasis I'm going to put on putting these things in perspective, that they are temporary, they're not forever. As pastors uh, here with the leadership of Pastor Jim, we've been really seeking God on how to bring messages during this season that address what we're going through. Um, And we're in quite a situation, a situation we've never seen before. Uh, We've lost a leader, uh, a great leader in Pastor Walt, a founder, a mentor, a father, a husband, a friend, a preacher, a teacher, a regional influencer, just an, an amazing man of God and a gift to all of us in so many ways. We're, we're impacted, and some of you are feeling it, and, and I understand that. I feel it too. I feel it greatly. Uh, and some of you who don't realize it, you are, you are being impacted. Um, this region is impacted. Our church is impacted. So it's, it's something, it's a season, and we can't um, ignore it. We have to face it head on and say, God, how do you want us to navigate through this? And on top of that, we're in a pandemic, if you didn't know. And wow, has it been crazy. What a frustration. What a challenge. So many views, so many, you know, how do we do this thing right? How do we honor God? How do we, how do we thread the needle between political opinions and, and ministering the gospel to people in this region? Um, and it's, it's a trial. It's a trial, and God is looking to see how we respond in these trials as to what he is going to do next for us. And I could sit down with each and every one of you, and you could share your heart with me, and I'm sure there would be individual trials that you're going through, loss in your own life, um, broken dreams or whatever, uh, just throwing a curveball, and you don't know what to do. And that's kind of the situation we're in. And, and on any given day, the Lord wants us to know how to, to get through these things, how to go through them with Him. You've probably heard this phrase, it's not what happens to you, it's how you handle it. Have you heard that? I want to say it this way, a little bit different. It's not what is happening to you, it's how you view what is happening to you that determines your experience. It's about perspective. Because, see, we could just muscle up and say, you know, we're going to pull ourselves up with our you know, bootstraps, and we're going to go out and be a success. And that's not necessarily the path of depending on the Lord, who really has all the answers, who really wants us to walk through it with Him. We want to go through it with Him. So today I want to share with you uh, just five insights that I believe God wants us to look at regarding trials. And along the way, um, there's going to be some things we need to be aware of. There's going to be some things we need to do and some things we want to avoid. That's always a great way to make decisions. We operate here in that matrix. What do we want to achieve? What do we want to avoid? You can achieve a whole lot of stuff, but realize you're, you're, you're also accomplishing things that you wanted to avoid. And how many of you know the wisdom of God will lead you through in the perfect way that he has so that you avoid what he wants you to avoid and you achieve what he wants you to achieve. So we're going to look at it from that perspective today. So... So this insight number one, and it's, it's, it's kind of a big statement. We'll put it up on the screen and, and look at that together. It says this, trials are real. Face them, but don't carry them. Give them to God. Go through them with God by praising God with his word. One more time, trials are real. Face them, but don't carry them. Give them to God. 
go through them with God by praising God with His Word. Let's look at the first statement there. Trials are real. Face them, but don't carry them. John 16, b Jesus said this, In this world you, what? Will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, there's going to be troubles in the world. And I'd rather go through troubles with Jesus, who's overcome the world, than without Jesus. Amen? Amen? So the second part of that is give them to God, acknowledge Him as help. This sounds super simple, but you know as believers, we fall into the trap of just trying to take it on ourselves, worrying about things, and before, before we know it, we really haven't put it back in the place that it belongs. 1 Peter 5, 7, my wife's favorite scripture, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Everything you're facing, everything that the enemy is trying to load on you, like take that, you're just like, nope, I'm not designed to carry it. I give it to you, Lord. It's yours. Let's go through this together. Psalm 61.2, the psalmist says, From the ends of the earth I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. How many of you have had heart-overwhelming seasons recently? I know I have. Uh, the past year, our recent events, it's very overwhelming. But it's good to know that we have a place to cry out to, to the Lord. Psalm 42, verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? People that don't know will question you. They'll want to know where your God is. And as I dive into this message more, we're going to realize that the way that you go through trials, they will see who your God is. Amen? Psalm 42, 9, he turns it around and says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? David didn't take God out of the equation. He said, I'm in this trial it's horrible, it's painful, I'm in anguish, but I'm going to still look to you as my rock. He just didn't say, you're not my help anymore. I'm mad at you, I'm upset at you because I'm going through this. He's like, I don't get it, but God. I don't get it, but God. And that leads us to this next part of this insight. Go through them with God by praising Him with His Word. Psalm 42, 11. He writes, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? It's good to locate. Sometimes I feel anxiety coming on, and I don't know what it is. I feel a little, like, I'll talk to Christine and say, something's a little funky. And we inquire, why? Why, soul? What, what are you wrestling with? And then here's the answer to that. Hey, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. And this, this describes who He is my Savior and my God. It recognizes the Lord as the one who rescues. The Lord is the one who can save you in this situation. And I get it. I get it. You're going to feel weird. Things are going to be strange. But if you can come to the place where you recognize that and say, my Savior, my God, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to hang on to you until I see you break through with me. We're going through this together. So here's some practical things about how we stay in that position of praise. I talked about praising God with His Word. 
it isn't as though we just, and it's okay, whatever you pour out your heart to the Lord is fine, but it isn't as though we just kind of sing romantic songs, you know, the God and Girlfriend Jesus songs, you know, where we're like, is that really a worship song? I'm not sure. This is dive into to God's Word that's very concretely and specifically declares who He is and the truth of what He does. So, we do this by thanking God for who He is and what He does. Because His Word, every time you read His Word, is both at the same time who He is and what He does. You can't separate the two. In the Old Covenant, when a hero of the faith had an experience with God and an encounter, and He was their deliverer, all of a sudden they said, this is God, my deliverer. That's where the names of God came from. Now, God already knew that was His name, but He wanted those people to recognize that's who I am. I am your deliverer. And when they got the revelation of that, then you live like he's your deliverer. Understand that? So the, the, the truth here is that we have to release him as who he is into our situation. Don't be bullied back by the enemy to try to paint a bleak picture and say all is lost. You know, you're hopeless. This is not going to work out. You push back from the depths of your heart and, and cry out in an attitude of faith with the Word of God. You can acknowledge the circumstances, and I'm going to give you a template for that in a minute, but speak His truth in the midst of them. Let His truth be the thing that shines in the midst of them. Do this. Surround yourself with people who will speak the Word into your life. Speak the Word into your life. The Word of God, not just any word, not just their opinion. A lot of people will give you their opinion. A lot of people will say different things. They'll even quote Scripture, but make sure it is the rightly divided Word of God. When you surround yourself with people like that, you're going to be stronger together. You'll go through trials together stronger. And the Church of Grace and Peace is full of people who will speak the Word of God into your life. And when we see someone down, we see someone discouraged, hey, this is what the Word says. I want to encourage you with this. Can I pray with you? Can I walk through this with you? Can I help you out here? 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. And just hold that screen, hold that scripture on the screen. It's down there somewhere, if I'm, if I'm TV people can see that. I always wanted to do that. I thought it was funny. So, so Paul says, we are hard-pressed. Listen, hard-pressed is the circumstance, but it's not the truth. We're hard-pressed on every side, but the truth is we're not crushed. Hey, we're perplexed here, the circumstances, but the truth, not in despair. I love it. Is this firing you up? Are you getting encouraged? We're persecuted. It's going to happen. That's the circumstance. But the truth is, we are not abandoned. The circumstances say we're struck down. The truth is, we're not destroyed. So I want to go through this verse. And for everything Paul said, not crushed, not in despair, not abandoned, not destroyed, I want to show you somewhere else in the Word that confirms that. You need to do this in your devotional, in your private life. Don't just hang your hat on one scripture. Start connecting the dots from Old Covenant to New Covenant and, and, and weave a strong tapestry, a foundation of the full counsel, the full Word of God, so that any issue that comes against you, you're not, you're not like, well, uh, I don't know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me? You know, maybe? No. You got an arsenal of, I got this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, this is the Word of God, this is truth. 
And you've got to change what your mind is thinking about it. You've got to renew your mind to God's truth. So when he says, these are just examples, you can find others. When he says you're not crushed, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Hey, we're not in despair because Nehemiah 8, 10b says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Did you know that joy is the opposite of despair? And joy isn't whether you're happy in the moment or not. Joy is an eternal kingdom commodity that is Jesus Christ himself resident inside you, flowing out of you, releasing his kingdom in you. The joy of the Lord, the eternal truth of the kingdom is your strength. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be proud. You can humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up and he'll carry you. Paul says, we're not abandoned, Psalm 37, 28. By the way, my tech arts um, presentations people need, need, need a huge round of applause because I am putting them to hard work today. I appreciate them. I told them, I said, you're going to be doing good if you can keep up with this, but just, it's all good. It's okay. We'll be fine. Psalm 37, 28, for the Lord loves the just, that's you, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and will not forsake his faithful ones. You're not forsaken. When he says, we're not destroyed, Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's a promise for every problem. Find them, declare them, live them. So we're in this situation. We're in, an, in, a, in a season of uncertainty. We're, you're going through something. The question invariably comes, how you doing? And I don't like that question as an introvert because I don't want to tell people how I feel anyway. I'm very guarded. But it also can set us up to say some things we don't want to say because it's really not the truth of God's word. It's just kind of a temporary thing. And what you say feeds your faith, feeds your heart, and then you start talking more and more like that, and down the spiral you will go. It's not about denying reality. It's about accepting what's happening, but declaring the truth of his reality. So when someone asks you, how are you? Maybe you say, hey, I'm in trying times, but... But God, but God says this. But God's showing me this. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm being perfected, brother. I'm going to be honest. I'm being perfected. Amen. Amen? I'm holding on to the hope of my calling. Look, this isn't cliche. This isn't wimpy. This is the most powerful thing you can say in response to someone. Speak the truth. Speak what God says. How are you doing? I'm strong in the Lord. I'm going through. You don't ever want to be under the circumstances. You want to go through them with the Lord, right? Say, I'm going through. I'm coming out of the season. Understand that life has seasons. There's seasons that are rougher than others. There's seasons that you're on the top of the mountain, but you're going through with God. Someone says, how you doing? Say, I'm getting up. You may have just been knocked down five minutes earlier. That's that you could have just got the phone call. The worst phone call you ever wanted to hear. How you doing? I'm getting up. Because we're either up or we're getting up as believers. We keep getting up. The righteous will fall, but the Lord will make sure that we keep getting up and getting up 
and getting up. It might take a while, but I'm getting up. And you know what? We're here to help people who can't get up. Get up. Let me give you a hand. Pull on this. Well, one person's not enough to help you out of this. Let's get two people around here. Let's get three. Let's form a prayer circle. Let's form a practical uh, pathway in their life to help them get up. Amen? You've got people surrounding you that can do that. And I like this. Um, I used to answer when I went in the office, how you doing? I'd just say, I'm inspired. Because all Scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed, right? For, for, for doctrine, for reproof. Say, God's revealing himself to me as, and then put his name in there, comforter, ever-present help in time of need. He's revealing to me his sovereignty. I'm learning to trust in him in a deeper way. Do you understand that? Do you get that? That's what we need to do as believers. And let's do what Paul and Silas did in Acts 16.25. You, you might be familiar with the story. If you're not, they were thrown in jail. This wasn't a nice place. This was nothing like we know today. This was the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. Dungeon, rat-infested, feces, human, all kinds of whatever. You couldn't stand to be there two seconds, let alone hours. Hands and feet bound. And they're not complaining. They're not talking about what's happened to them. They're talking about their God. They're singing about their God. They're praising their God. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now get this. And the other prisoners were listening to them. You got to realize that people are going to be drawn to Jesus by how they see you going through trials. And if they see you in the pit of the pit and you're like singing songs to the Lord and you're declaring the goodness of God in the land of the living, how much of a calling card of the grace of Jesus and the gospel is that? Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When people see you walking in peace, when they see you continue to minister to others, to pour out lovingly all you have, even in the worst times, they see Christ in you, the hope of glory. When they see you with a sense of resilience and purpose, something deep down, carrying composure, embodying hope, they see Christ in you, the hope of glory. When they feel and sense the presence of God when they're with you, they'll want to know who you know. They see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen, church. We're carriers of his presence. We're dispensers of his peace and his name and his nature to everyone that's around us. And even if they're not in your house talking to you, if they're not in a grocery store, you're driving down the parkway. You just declare that the presence of God is overwhelming every single person that's around me. It's supernatural. It's something that's unseen. It's not seen. And it makes a difference. I pray for people. Not because I have issues with, you know, angry pedestrians, you know, dr drivers like Pastor Jim. It's that... <laughs> it's Okay, I do have issues from time to time. Uh, we're all growing in that area. But what, what I want to say is I don't, I don't pray for them in response that I'm mad at them. I pray out of an awareness that I can declare, Lord, grant them their heart's desire and fulfill all their purpose. Grant their deepest need to meet you, Jesus, somehow. 
Because my prayer goes into heaven and God has to do something about it. He has to respond to that prayer of faith. And there's other people in their lives that are praying for them. And there's an encounter. They're headed for an encounter with God. Makes sense? Hmm. Christ in you, the hope of glory, even when you're driving down the parkway. All right, let's look at the, um, the second insight too. If we haven't taken the long view, we've probably taken the wrong view because in Christ Jesus, today's trial is tomorrow's triumph. There's a lot there. If we haven't taken the long view, we've probably taken the wrong view because in Christ Jesus, today's trial is tomorrow's triumph. Let's look at this long view versus the wrong view thing. If we haven't taken the long view, we've probably taken the wrong view. I'll talk about the wrong view in a second. But Hebrews 6.12 says, Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I want to describe this inheritance not as something that you get in the sweet by and by, but as something that God has released into your life now. You have this precious inheritance, and it's all over you. It's in you. And people will see that when you walk in that inheritance. You walk in the peace of God. You walk in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because it was promised to you, and when you accessed it by faith, through grace, you have it. How do we do this? Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects Notice that word there, perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, the long view, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Second thought here underneath that insight, in Christ Jesus, today's trial is tomorrow's triumph. That verse we just read beautifully described that for us. But check this out. This is a promise to you. This is a truth for you. Psalm 37, 37, and 38. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are his. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. Psalm 23, 18 says this. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. It's all smoke and mirrors when the enemy tries to come and tell you it's over. There's no future. There's no hope. I'm cutting it off. You got to push right through that and see right through that. Say that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not what's going on. I'm being shaped by these trials. And with the word of God, we're going to go through stronger to the other side. Let's look at our key note passage for this entire message where I got the title and the, and the inspiration for it. 2 Corinthians 4. Verses 17 and 18, Paul writes this, and if you leave it on the screen again, I'm going to expound on the word troubles there. For our light and momentary troubles, troubles, persecution, afflictions, distress, even just pressure, those all describe that there. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Your troubles, your pressures, your afflictions, your distresses, there's a purpose for them and something is going to come out of those. They're achieving. They're working for you. And God is working through them. So verse 18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
Church, the long view, eternal, eternal, eternity. Is this going to matter in eternity? Why am I being moved by this? Why is this bothering me? This is an eternal issue. God deals in eternal issues. God deals in kingdom issues. He doesn't want you to mess with things that aren't eternal. A couple earthly examples I can think of. Pearls. How many ladies like pearls? You got pearl necklaces. Anybody? Okay, can I hear a shout for diamonds? <laughs> Woo, all right. I knew I'd get you with one of them, right? Pearls or diamonds? Well, I was looking this up, and I've always heard that, you know, a sand gets lodged in the, in the pearls, whatever. And it, but this article I read said it's a parasite that actually bores through the shell and tries to, to inhabit the pearl. And so the response is, I'm sure that's not a pleasant experience for the oyster, right? The response is this secretion, that over time, the agitation becomes a pearl, becomes a beautiful precious commodity. Same thing with a diamond. You know how diamonds are made, right? Pressure. Pressure over a long period of time. God, can I endure this? Yes, you can. I will be here to get you through because I'm making a diamond out of you and I want you to shine for my kingdom. Amen. So let's look at uh, this insight number three. Number three, not every trial is a temptation, but there is temptation with every trial. The question is, will we respond with our will or with God's word? Not every trial is a temptation, but there is temptation with every trial. Will we respond with our will or with God's word? So here's the deal. Yes, we might be tempted to um, overeat, to feed the flesh too much, to, to be lazy, to to miss God and not hear his voice when we should, you know, share with someone. But trials aren't like that. It's nothing you are, are giving into because your flesh wants it. Trials happen to you. Things come in your life. And, and yeah, truth be told, there are reasons, but we won't get into those. Um, but now that you're faced with it, it doesn't have to be a temptation. Boy, the enemy is right there. Because he wants to tempt you so that you fail this trial and you don't move on to where God has for you next. Are you getting this, somebody? Because you'll keep taking the same test. And God will use trials to shape you and say, I want to prove my word. I want to prove you. I want to promote you. I want to grow my kingdom through you. But can I trust you? Are you going to handle this right? Are you going to bring me into it? Because if not, I can't trust you with what's next. Amen, somebody. Thank you, Lord. You are faithful. Uh, I, I honestly believe this. I believe that God's going to do something here at the Church of Grace and Peace that he's never done before. I believe that an incredible breakthrough. Yeah, give him some glory. I believe there's a triumphant moment for us. We're not there. We're not close to being there. We have to navigate through this. But can we do this together? Can we honor the Lord together? Can we pull together and just humble ourselves under the side of the Lord and, and watch him do what he's going to do? I've been telling him lately because he's putting that so strong in my heart. God, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care who you use. 
Whatever you have in store, I'm here. I'll camp out. I'll just guard that door. Whatever. I'll sleep in the balcony. I don't have to preach. I don't have to lead worship. I don't have to do anything. I want to be here. So do what you're going to do. Use her, who you're going to use. But let's see it happen. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Again, I'm going to expound on trials here so you can just let the scripture hang out. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Remember, joy is eternal. It's not emotional. Whenever you face trials, expound on that. Trials are putting to proof of good. Experience of evil, when evil comes to steal the revelation of the word. Solicitation, again, the enemy is trying to bait you, trying to get you to, to fall. Discipline, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Provocation, you will be provoked, and it's going to be uh, a test to see what comes out. And by implication, adversity of many, time, uh, many kinds. All that is in that word trials, okay? So that you understand that. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Lord wants a mature body of believers. It's okay that we have newly born saints, newbie, newbie beginners, but we need a body of mature believers to help disciple them and grow them. The church should be a constant, constant funnel of just saved, growing into maturity, mature saints, right? It takes all of us to, to keep that churning out. We should be seeing new believers, new salvations all the time. If we're not seeing that, we need to get a heart for the lost and get a new revelation that this isn't about us. This isn't about our church and our service and the way we do things. It's about seeing people one for the kingdom. Amen. The lost, one for the kingdom because Jesus is coming soon. We don't have much time to get this done. Amen. So he says, um, the testing of your faith produces. Think of the word in, in the grocery store for fruits and vegetables. What do they call that? Produce, right? So produces, produce, it's fruit. It's fruit that remains. And Jesus said, that's the only way I'm going to know you're my disciple. If you're bearing fruit, if you're bearing much fruit. What does he use to produce fruit? Trials, hardships, the times that are rough. So let's look to the word, our response when we go through these things. Let's meet it with the word, Psalm 121.2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Just give God's resume whenever you face something that you think's big. Hey, you're my help. You made heaven and earth. You can help me. Nehemiah 8.10, again, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And Psalm 138.8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. His perfecting process includes the trials. You don't just sit there and he makes you perfect you get perfect by growing through some stuff. Amen? And the New Living says the Lord will work out his plans for my life. We're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it's God in you, both to will and do according to his good pleasure. That's part of that working out process. Romans 8, 28, let this be our rallying cry, church. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him 
who have been called according to his purpose. Did you know you're called according to his purpose? Then what's going to happen? All things are going to work together for our good, the body. He doesn't just fulfill Christine Wheeler's dream and leave everyone else in the dust. You realize that, don't you? He doesn't use the stepping stone method of the world where you step on everyone else to to get higher. He says we all go together. All things work together for our good. When he says the the call according to his purpose, that's ecclesia, that's the church, that's you, that's the body of Christ. That's not just your personal bucket list, right? That's kingdom advancement. Let's go on to insight number four. Are you getting anything out of this yet? Good. Are you ready to go through? You ready to go through? Good. There's grace from the Word of God to trust in the plan of God. I'm so happy. There's grace because if it was up to me, I couldn't do it. It's not not a my strength thing. It's a grace thing. So let me give you a mini sermon on grace. We, we come to God by faith. We believe that he is, right? And that he's a re- rewarder. Well, faith releases what grace contains. If you don't have faith, grace is not, the valve isn't open to pour out the revelation of God's word that it's for you and it, and it can be a promise that comes to pass in your life. Are you hearing me? That's how we get saved. You're not saved until you, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, put it on there if it's not. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. So we come in faith, and then grace is going to release what we need. And we need grace to release this next thing, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When you're tempted, when you're tried, when things happen, when you're frustrated, he will provide a way out. Do you know what his way out is? It's the word of God. His way out is his word. Think about the temptation of Jesus. I've studied this. And, and it blows my mind because the enemy knows Scripture backwards and forwards. And that's what he comes to tempt you with. Because Christians, we know the basics. We know what we're not supposed to do. We know when we fall, we confess our sin. What he comes and says, see this verse right here? That doesn't mean that. That means that you can get what you want. Because you want to be happy, right? I want you to be happy too. Jesus said No. I've fasted for 40 days and 40 nights so that I can be full of the power of the Spirit of God and I've made this commitment. It's going to launch my ministry and you're telling me to use the Word of God to feed my flesh? Are you kidding me? But it's that subtle. So make sure you don't misquote the Word of God to achieve your own ends. You say, this is about you, Lord. Not my will, but yours. It's about your kingdom. Are you hearing me? James 1.12, because you will be faced with that. Um, I have a funny little story. My wife probably gets tired of hearing it. But when I was in college, we were dating, then we were engaged. And once you know, the ex-boyfriend tried to make one last run. (laughs) They always do. He calls me on my dorm phone before we had cell phones and said, Hey, he sent her a dozen roses, first of all. He just tried to intimidate me out of the whole situation. 
He calls me on the phone and says, I want you to know God gives me the desires of my heart. And I want Christine. So she's mine. You know what he left out? Delight yourself also in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He wasn't delighting in the Lord. He just wanted what he wanted. Come on, let's be honest. How many of you have gone to God like that? Oh, please, just give me this. Well, you haven't delighted in me. You haven't given everything up for me. You haven't just found yourself saturated in my presence. So that's the difference. Did I read James 1.12 yet? James 1.12. Blessed is the one who preserves under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This crown here is like the, um, the, the, the green leaves that the Olympians, the Greek games, used to wear. And it said that you were an athlete who competed. You were someone who had gone for the prize. And so again, this isn't a crown we get in heaven. This is a crown we wear now that people can see that, hey, there's some perseverance going on. There's trials going on in their life. But I see there is a crown of endurance. And the Lord has promised that. If you go through this with me, I'll let everyone know that it's me that's taking you through. Did you know your scars are your crowns? I said your scars. Your scars have healed. I still have a scar right here. You probably can't see it. It's three little dots. When I came out as a baby, I had a big red bloody birthmark. And then for whatever reason, how it healed, it's a scar. It's a long time ago. I'm in my 50s. And your wounds, your wounds aren't your crowns. Your wounds are too fresh. So I want to encourage you, don't minister out of your wounds. Minister out of your scars. The wounds are still too fresh. You, you don't have an objective per perspective. Time hasn't gone on enough for, for those to be a testimony. Are you hearing me? So guard your heart when you're, when you're going through being wounded. That's not time to talk about it to other people and tell them your perspective. That's time to hide yourself and allow the Lord to take you through. And then as time goes by, that'll be a scar. You can say, wow, look at that. Look at that. God was faithful to bring me through this situation so that you don't boast in what you've done. You boast in what the Lord has done. It takes grace. 1 Peter 4.10 Now each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I really think the things that we go through, you can view those as gifts and that God is asking you to steward those and to pull on the grace that's there to minister to others, to serve others. My story doesn't serve anyone unless I'm able to minister to them. Amen? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Hebrews 4, 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it most. Are you getting the heart of this message? Run to God. Go to him. It all comes back to that. Finding your place in him. And then finally, this insight number five here. In trials, when our will 
wins. God's kingdom loses. I know that's heavy. We're going to navigate that. And that's the wrong view. That's not the long view. In trials, when our will wins, God's kingdom loses. That's the wrong view, not the long view. Jesus in the garden said, not my will, but yours. Do you know if it was his will, we would all be hopeless and lost. He surrendered his will to the plan of God in a very painful moment. He teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. And so Hebrews 12, 15, this is a warning to us. And I think we can do good uh, with this if we just take Scripture to heart and say, I want to stay far from this, this uh, finding myself in this place. Look after each other. That's, that's all of us here. Watch out for this. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. I camped out on the grace for a while. What happens when you reject the grace of God? It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Bitter roots bring bitter fruits, right? So we don't want to deny the grace of God. And, and the very natural outcropping of that sounds like this. We might cry out to God and say, I didn't deserve this. It's not fair. How could you let this happen to me? If only I hadn't done this, if only someone else had done that, that doesn't really do any good because God's ways are so much higher than our ways. We can't figure out what should have happened, what didn't happen. We can only run to him and pull on the grace that we have. But if we refuse that grace, have you ever noticed someone who has a bitter root, they're not gracious to anyone else? They stop being gracious. Grace stops flowing through them. And then before you know it, they poison another person and another person gets poisoned. It affects you. It affects your family. Listen, don't get bitter. Get better. Don't be preoccupied with the problem. For every problem, there's a promise. We see people fall into the downward spiral of self-medicating, workaholism, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, gluttony, self-indulgence, and the list goes on. You're no longer fighting against the things that are sinful. You're participating in them, and you justify what you do. It's non-biblical behavior, but you have a justification for it. And people will even quote scripture to me and say why they're right. And you can tell their heart isn't in a good place. And we've probably all been there, but thank God for the grace of God, we can repent and come back. So here's a truth. I'm going to share this truth with you and then read a story and then we'll pray. Have you ever heard this? What you feed grows and what you starve dies. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. So if we feed bitterness, if we deny the grace of God, say we're going to deal with this ourselves, you sow to the flesh. That's what makes me happy. What does the Bible say? You sow to the flesh, you reap what? Corruption. Corruption. But God's kingdom is incorruptible. Why would we bring corruption into something he wants to be devoid of it? So if we feed God's word, let's do that. Let's feed God's word. We sow into eternal truth. We speak heaven's reality. We grow his kingdom. It's about his kingdom. It's about growing his kingdom on earth. And he's going to grow his kingdom through people when they see the grace of God in you.
In a remote village near a forest, there lived a poor farmer. He had a beautiful white horse. Many merchants demanded this horse and offered him a great amount of money, but he wouldn't sell the horse. The villagers told him, you're so lucky, you got such a precious horse. The farmer said, it's true that my horse may bring me a fortune, but it's too early to tell. The villagers didn't like his reply. One day the horse just disappeared. They all searched everywhere, but the horse was simply missing. The villagers told the farmer, you should have sold away that horse. It's such bad luck that the horse was stolen. The farmer replied, it's true that my horse is missing, but we can't say it's luck or bad luck. It's too early to tell. The villagers frowned at his reply. The farmer had lost the precious horse and he's still saying it's not bad luck. After a few days, to the great surprise of all the villagers, the horse came back to the farmer and it brought a dozen white horses from the forest with it. They all gathered around the farmer and said, you're so lucky. You love the horse so much. That's why it brought all these horses with it. The farmer replied, it's true that my horse brought a dozen horses to me but we can't say it's luck or bad luck. It's too early to tell. The villagers thought the man was crazy. He got a dozen horses and he still says it's not luck. This man is really crazy, they thought. One day the farmer's youthful son was riding the horses and playing with them. Suddenly he fell off a horse and seriously broke his legs. The villagers came to console the farmer. They said, we're really sorry for you. It's such bad luck that your only son has become handicapped now. The farmer replied, It's true, my son has become a handicapped person, but we can't say it's luck or bad luck. It's too early to tell. The villagers got really mad. This man has no sense, they thought. After a few months, suddenly the king of the neighboring country attacked the farmer's own country. The king of the farmer was fighting a losing battle. In a bid to win the battle, the king made an announcement that all the youth of the country should compulsorily join the army except disabled persons. The villagers were all in grief. They came to the farmer and said, you're a lucky man. At least you can see your son alive. And on and on the story would go. You see, the farmer knew that life shouldn't be lived searching for explanations and drawing temporary conclusions based on a limited perspectives. But the villagers, they were just on the roller coaster. They figured everything out. It was bad luck. It was good luck. That's not the long-term perspective. That's not God's perspective at all. To put it in our context today, and I realize that's an old story and it's not um, um, up to date in terms that we would, we would share it today, but to put it in our context, our temporary trials are too earthly to tell us anything of eternal value. Rather than second-guessing every twist and turn on the road of life, wouldn't it be better to just live for the purposes of God and trust Him, not only to keep writing our story, but to see it through to the end? What do you think? In closing, I want to go back through these. Trials are real. Face them. Don't carry them. Give them to God and go through them with God by praising God with His Word. If we haven't taken the long view, we've probably taken the wrong view. Because in Christ Jesus, today's trial is tomorrow's triumph. Not every trial is a temptation, but there's temptation with every trial. Will we respond with our will or with God's Word? There's grace from the Word of God to trust in the plan of God. This is the long view.
not the wrong view. And in trials, when our will wins, God's kingdom loses. That's the wrong view, not the long view. Church, we're in this together. Let's keep each other close. Let's encourage one another to access the grace God has for us today. Let's hold on to the steadfast love of the Lord that never fails and never ends, no matter what tomorrow brings. He has new mercies just for today. Let's make sure even though we don't know what tomorrow will bring, that we invest in an intimate and vital relationship with knowing the one who holds tomorrow. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the sovereign king. He's our daily bread. He's abiding with us always for eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your truth. Oh, I'm so glad it's not up to us or what we can figure out or come up with to navigate trials in life. But your word, Jesus, that's forever settled in heaven shows us the way. You give us your promise. We come to you with faith to access what you have for us. I pray over every person here, every person who's heard this message. Lord, if nothing else, encourage them to keep pressing through to you, to go through this with you. And I thank you that on the other side, there is a triumph like we can't even imagine. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.